You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Thank you, team, for that. Like I said, I'm Johnny. I use he, him pronouns. I want to offer you a message that I hope encourages you um, and fills you up on this Palm Sunday. We'll need a volunteer to read from the scripture that is up right now, that Luke will put up. Um, anyone willing to read what's on the screen? You've got to read it into the microphone so that the people on Zoom can hear you. Hello on Zoom, by the way. Didn't get a chance to talk to all you there. Hope you're interacting and everything's clear. And if you want to read something on Zoom, just raise your hand, notify Luke somehow, and who's the moderator back there, and he'll uh, unlock, he'll let you speak. So, is that enough preamble? Did anyone decide they want to read? Bethany, thank you. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that, had, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Mm. Thank you, Bethany. Mm-hmm. Let's pray before we keep going. Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So it's Palm Sunday. It's the day that we greet Jesus as king in Jerusalem. Jesus is entering Jerusalem royally, triumphantly. And for Israel... This is a uh, hotly anticipated moment. They're waiting for a king, a political savior, to liberate them. They're hoping for liberation from their Roman overlords. They hope that they can practice their faith freely in their own place. In many ways, that was already happening, but they wanted freedom from their own captivity. They wanted their own self-determination to matter. They didn't want to be ruled by someone else. They're waiting for liberation, just like they experienced in Egypt before. They had just observed the memory. Well, they'll observe this week the memory of Exodus in Passover. They're hoping for liberation. They want their enemies defeated. They want to be liberated. And they want it in the way they envision it. But God doesn't offer, God doesn't offer the liberation the way that Israel expects it. And he never, 
God, God really never did. When they were freed from their Egyptian captors, God left them kingless. They didn't have a ruler. They had a prophet. Moses has the ruler, but no king. God was their king. God was their authority. And they wandered in the wilderness for some time. They longed to go back to Egypt even. They were confused. And eventually they begged for a king, First Samuel 8. And a king they got. And Saul was not a good king. And David ruined his family's life through his action. And Solomon received all of the earth's splendor, had all of the wisdom, and still was unhappy at the end of it. The kingdom split after that. I was talking to someone about Ecclesiastes, which Solomon didn't pen, but it's kind of in the same time and place. And, you know, the, the culmination of Hebrew wisdom is that everything is vanity. You know, these pursuits of Solomon were vain. So God doesn't offer liberation to Israel the way they expect. Eventually Israel's kingdom was split. The Assyrians took over the northern kingdom. We've never heard from them since. The Babylonians took the southern kingdom of Judah. And then they were under captivity, brutal captivity in Babylon. Eventually the Persians took over Babylon. And so they were under Persian captivity where they had more freedom. And if I have it right, the Romans took over sections of the Persian Empire, which is the setting that we're in now. So they never got liberation. They were still under captivity. They're still in exile. So for many Jewish folks, this triumphal entry was meant to symbolize that sort of political liberation. Jesus was the hope they were looking for, but he didn't arrive in the way they were expecting. And certainly Jesus would grant that political liberation, but, but so much more in an unusual way. Once again, God would liberate Israel and liberate the world. God liberated Israel before, just not in the way that they expected. I want to make it clear that God always acted a little bit differently than they expected. He would be offering something so much different that the crowd that was greeting him with Hosanna would later cry out to crucify him. Something so different. And I know what it's like to await the arrival of a savior. I know what it's like to have high expectations for what someone would bring. To wait, I know what it's like to long for liberation and then to be disappointed by the result. I know what it's like to have all my hopes set on someone and then have them dashed to bits. I know what that's like. When the savior I thought was arriving arrived, I thought that hope would come with him. But it's just unacceptable for James Harden to shoot three for 12 against the Raptors when we're gonna see the Raptors in the playoffs. It's very disappointing. 
I long to return to Egypt even in this moment. I watched a game once when Kevin Durant was unstoppable, and I told my friend, Ben Simmons got to stop Kevin Durant. So it's just delusional behavior. Yeah, exactly. I know what it feels like. I know what the Jewish people would feel by the end of this week because of my experience here. May number six. May may, uh, Nick Castellanos be my new savior. On this Sunday, they were shouting Hosanna. They were shouting Hosanna to their king for help, for salvation. They were welcoming in their Messiah. And he came in on a colt that no one ever rode before. And he made it clear that this was a royal and political event. There's a, there's a scripture that remarks about how the king comes in on a horse that was not ridden before. So this is a, this is a special moment. Sometimes you hear that he came in on a, on a, on a colt and it wasn't a, it was a different kind of kingly entrance. But in fact, this would still be a common one. You know, sometimes you hear like, came in on a humble animal instead of a horse. Often Israel's kings worked like that too. He's following in a tradition more than he is subverting it in my reading. But the politics is clear. They shout blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They know it's political. And when the Pharisees, they say, teacher, let your quiet, have your disciples quiet down when they're saying Hosanna. The Pharisees know if you make too big of a ruckus, it's not going to work for us. It's dangerous. It's risky. It's, 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 it's difficult. So they're not um, in conflict with Jesus. They're really saying this isn't the best way to do it. Have them quiet down. We don't want a big scene. We don't want to cause a stir. We don't want this political event to catch the attention of the authorities. It's not great. Um, And I think in general, in the Bible, loud political action against Rome was generally thought not to be a wise idea. This is probably why in Romans 13, Paul tells people, don't engage the empire because they're going to crush us. There's only a little tiny group of us here. So like, don't get your, don't get all excited. I know you're excited, but you know, it's like when a, uh, like when a black mother has the talk with her kid. Hey, if you see a cop, Here's how you talk to them. Don't make a big thing. You know, show them your hands. Talk to them politely. And bad things could still happen to you, but this is how we do it. You know, it's kind of like that vibe, if you will. Um, which is heartbreaking, of course. Um, but Jesus has the favor of the crowd here. And the sort of political liberation he's offering isn't meant to appease them. It's meant to provide a radical change in the whole cosmos. His arrival will make us all more human and more alive while rendering death dead. Jesus ups the ante. He doesn't follow the political order. He he subverts it. He challenges it. He doesn't negotiate with his professors He remains prophetic. He remains inspired. Prophets act this way. 
They aren't concerned with politics. They aren't concerned with how the game is played, the art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. They don't talk less and smile more. Jesus is asking, if you stand for nothing, what will you fall for? Prophets would rather be divisive than indecisive. Drop the niceties. That's what Jesus is doing. He is doing something that is divisive. For a modern example of this prophetic behavior that leads to death, I want to turn to Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was an activist in the United States, preacher, minister, led the civil rights movement among, alongside of others. And he partnered with Lyndon B. Johnson, LBJ, to pass major civil rights legislation. He endorsed Johnson for president, and they had a winning and positive relationship for the most part. After several activists in Selma were murdered for protesting for voting rights on Bloody Sunday is the, is the name of the day, this propelled the Voting Rights Act to be passed by, by Congress in just four months. Okay? This law made things like literacy tests, poll tests illegal. And for the first time, the majority of black Southerners had access to vote. So it was a great victory for King and Johnson, Lyndon Johnson, and it showed the strong relationship between the two of them. They negotiated this deal, the legislation was on the floor, and it passed. Momentous moment. Accelerated again by a horrible event, but momentous nevertheless. But King wasn't done, he had to keep going. He didn't settle for the political victory. He didn't play the game very well. That wasn't his goal. He was still going to push forward. And he sacrificed his relationship with Lyndon Johnson. And people didn't like it. People said, don't do this. You're, you, you have the ear of the president. You're close to him. Don't mess it up. And he couldn't stop. Because under the, uh, the relationship began to strain under the growing conflict in Vietnam. Because... King was opposed to the Vietnam War and Lyndon Johnson was waging this war. And King spoke against it prophetically, didn't want to let go. He spoke out against the war as Johnson increased the level of troops. So by 1967, King condemned Johnson's policies and would later remove his endorsement for Johnson's candidacy. So similarly, you have something working. The people like you. The president likes you. You have a deal working. No, I'm still going to do it because I'm not doing this to be liked, to be admired. I'm not sorting through politics here to make it work. I'm going to keep going forward. Going to keep doing something radical. So he's motivated not by personal power or personal politics, right? By a bigger vision. That's what prophets do. He kept going. He kept being faithful despite the bad politics, despite the bad... Um, despite not having a great strategy even. He kept going until they assassinated him. Jesus kept going until they killed him too. Hmm. Continuing to move forward despite an existential threat against you requires a lot of courage. It requires a lot. We often face 
when we disrupt these systems, a lot of anxiety. To move forward requires clarity of vision and courage. Jesus had that, and so did King. Jesus' life ended in death, in part because of the life he led and lived. There's a lot of ways to explain what's going to happen on the cross this week. There's explanations for atonement. That's, a, that's the word for what the cross does. How does the cross um, justify us? How are we saved through the cross? And we should be okay using different motifs to understand it. So yes, Jesus did die for your sins. That's true. Yes, Jesus' death made reparations. Made, right, made, made up for the sins we committed. Made things better. Yes, Jesus' death in dying defeats death. But also, Jesus died because of the life he lived. He lived a life that resulted in death. And he wasn't afraid to keep going, right? The Pharisees are saying, quiet down. He says, I can't, we, we can't quiet down. Quiet down or they'll kill you, Jesus. This is what I'm doing. This is what I have to do. Preserve your relationship with Lyndon Johnson, Martin. No, I can't. That's not, that's not why I'm doing this. So for Christians, we're invited to take up our cross this week, too. We're invited to following Jesus. A life of following Jesus, even if that threatens the peace of our households, the peace of our lives, the peace of our society, the peace of our church. We're called to be holy disruptors. And sometimes the things that we disrupt will fall apart. And if they do, that's okay. It's worth losing some things in order to fully live, in order to fully be yourself. Jesus lost a lot of followers when he demonstrated the radical cost of following him. These people welcomed him in as a liberator, and some of them would participate in killing him at the end of the week. They made a choice. They didn't... Things didn't go as they hoped and planned. And they still had a choice when they were disappointed, when they thought something else was happening. Sometimes things don't go as we plan either. For our church, for us as individuals. For me as a pastor, I didn't know things did not go as planned in many ways. Um, over the pandemic and over the last nearly 12 years. Um, but as I opened myself up to my feelings and my desires, my sometimes newfound desires and my, newfound, my newly discovered experiences, um, when I learned the things that I wanted, the things that I wanted to pursue, when I learned what happened to me and the pain that I felt, um, things just didn't go as planned. You know, for, for my life, I was supposed to keep these things covered up. And sometimes I still do want to go back to Egypt and cover them up again and not feel 
my desires to, you know, um, have a church that dignifies everybody. Um, whether they're disabled, whether they're queer, whether they're people of color. You know, what if I just covered that up again and just kept peace, kept assuaging people, calming them down? You know? I remember participating in systems that made things worse in Circle of Hope, for, especially for minorities. Um, and I'm coming to terms with that because I'm aware of how it affected me as an individual too. Right? I worked against my own interests in some ways. Um, so it's hard to keep going forward. It's hard to keep doing it. And sometimes it did feel like there was an existential threat. But when you, hmm, when you realize the oppression that you face, there's an existential threat both ways. Am I gonna get bulldozed here? Or am I gonna endure the fight here? How do I work this out? You know, there is no good option. So go for what you want. Go for what's gonna make, what you think is gonna express the gospel. Right? Who do I have to answer to at the end of the day? You know? Who am I going to work for? What are we going to work for? You know? Yeah, sure. I'll be criticized. I'll be, well, and, and you will be too, right? But there takes some courage to move forward. And I think that we've got it as a church. And I'll talk about that more in a second. But even as I'm faced with potential Criticism, hatred, whatever, you know, I have to remind myself who I'm actually working for. My friend recently gave me some good advice when he said, don't take criticism from people you wouldn't take advice from. And that was pretty helpful, right, to, for me to figure out, oh, who am I going to listen to? For our church, we had a vision to be an anti-racist, anti-oppressive church since the mid-90s. This language was in our founding documents. And I can honestly say that I witnessed the passion for that waning as it became more difficult. I can tell you that I was used as a token to make people's white guilt go away, calm white people down that feel, felt bad about it. And people named the hypocrisy among us over the years, and they were cast aside, sometimes pushed out, sometimes they left on their own. But I can tell you that when, when, when we did pursue anti-racism and anti-oppression the way that we said we would as a church, it wasn't a change in our vision. It was a, really a confirmation of what we said we would be. Things changed. People turned their backs on us. People left us. The demon of white supremacy was too much to bear. And that's a painful thing to happen when you're treated as an enemy for trying to give people their full dignity, you know. What will come for us next in this moment isn't clear. We were blessed during 2020 and 2021 with some, what felt like an unusual amount of generosity from our people. And we shared a lot in common, financially, you know. But this year, we're like at 65% of our sharing. Um, and, I, and I think that's in part because, well, there's multiple reasons for it. 
One of them is everything is more expensive. So prices are going up and incomes are not. So that's a real issue that people deal with. So like, I'm, I, I, I understand, you know, certainly not asking people to give more than they can, right? That's not what's happening. But there are people who withheld too. And they said, we don't like the direction of the church. And my friend, I was walking with my friend from the Jersey congregation at the zoo, and he said, yeah, don't you think that's just white supremacy? That's the old, that's the old uh, power play. You withhold your money until, and try to influence the church that way. And we always said, we're not going to be a church that listens to the people that just give us money or something. Like, that wasn't who we were going to be, you know? So it's, it was interesting to see this dynamic played out. So it seems a little scary. It seems a little risky. This council meeting that's coming up in a month will probably reflect some changes to our budget just because we have to. Um, but we believe this is the direction we need to move in. It's similar. We need to keep moving forward, right? The politics aren't sorted. You know, maybe it wasn't a politically um, expedient thing to do during a pandemic. Why did you do it now? It's hard, it's stressful during transitions of our pastors, you know. But we felt like we needed to, you know. And Jesus did too, and it was the death of him. King did too, and it was the death of him. You know, I hope it isn't the death of us, and I don't think it will be, but that's the spirit that we're moving in with that confidence. We think God will save us. God will help us. So we cry out Hosanna too today. And we're looking for people that are interested in this anti-oppressive work of the gospel. We need partners in that mission. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun all the time, although we want to have some fun. But it is necessary for the sake of the kingdom. You know, to act with integrity, to act, to say yes to what we say we're going to be is important. So maybe this wasn't the liberation that we expected. But Jesus calls us to do unexpected things. Our lives are unexpected. So I pray this week as we walk towards death, this holy week, we make the moves in ourselves to change what we need to, to take up our cross, that we don't lose our nerve, that we keep moving forward in courage and in bravery too. Peace. Let's pray and then we'll do some talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for uh, your uh, presence among us, for moving us to um, do difficult things despite the challenging politics of them. Continue to uh, move us with courage. Offer us the partners we need, the generosity we need to make something happen together. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.